he should have armed himself. He's going to decorate his saloon with my friend. Hey folks, it's Pete with Starting Strength to give you a rundown on all the events that we have coming up. For full seminars, our April seminar on Woodmere is currently sold out, so the next available seminar is going to be on May 15th in Denver, Colorado. Then we're over at Wichita Falls on June 26th. For lifting camps coming up, we have a squat camp on June 14th in Seoul, South Korea. And then on the same day, we're also having a deadlift and power clean camp in Seoul. Woodmere, New York is holding a deadlift and power clean camp on May the 3rd. Following camps are all squat and deadlift camps. We just added one for Moodus, Connecticut on April 25th at Anito Strength. Then we're in Boise, Idaho on May 3rd. Phoenix, Arizona on May 9th at Weights and Plates. And Bellevue, Washington on May 16th. Those are all squat and deadlift camps. For our new three-lift camp covering the squat, press, and deadlift, we'll be in Baltimore on May 17th and Singapore on May 31st. If you're looking to become a starting strength coach or just get better at coaching the lifts, we have two coaching development camps on the list. March 21st in Villa Park, California at the Strength Co. and June 20th at Starting Strength Houston. Both of those are covering the power clean. Lots of meets on the list. Next one up will be in Omaha on March 14th. That'll be a USA weightlifting meet at Testify. Woodmere, New York is holding a deadlift only meet on March 22nd. Phoenix, Arizona on April 18th will be having a strength lifting meet at Weights and Plates. Back to Omaha at Testify Strength on April 25th for a strength lifting meet. May 9th in Omaha will be another USA weightlifting meet. Wichita Falls Athletic Club on June 13th for a strength lifting meet. June 13th in Omaha, they'll be holding a strongman competition. Then the 9th Annual Charm City Strongwoman Competition will be held on September 13th in Baltimore, hosted by 5x3 Training. Then finally, one more USA weightlifting meet in Omaha on December 5th. April 18th, Stan Efferding will be in Starting Strength Denver to hold his Nutrition and Strength Seminar. Details for that can be found at the Starting Strength Denver Facebook page. And if you'd like more information on Starting Strength Gyms, including how to train for less than $30 a session, request a location, find out where new locations are going to show up, you can head over to startingstrengthgyms.com or just simply ssgyms.com. And as usual, for more details and registration information on any of the events that we've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, Starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength. Uh, we are here on Friday as we are every Friday, whether you want us to be or not. Look, we're not going away. All right? I don't, you know, comments from the haters notwithstanding, we're not fucking going away. Get used to the idea that it's Friday, we're here. And you're here too. Because really you can't help yourself, can you? <laughs> All right, let's get things started correctly now, shall we? With comments from the heaters. You know, I can think. What? I, I think I can what? hear the reverb already. Yeah, well, I'm, it's because I do that myself. Oh, that's what it is. Everybody thinks, the, <laughs> everybody thinks that's like post-production or something. No. It's just the way your voice sounds. Yeah. For example... This, this is, the, is way the way my, my voice, voice sounds. See what I mean? It's a fucking talent. It, I, not everybody can do that. You know. Not just everyone is capable of doing that sort of a sound effect just with their voice. Okay, Monkey Brain. Quite valuable contribution here. First he sends in a comment that says, I am glad to tell you this. You are not cute. Quit trying to be cute and funny. You are not cute or funny. Just stop, please. And then, a couple of days later, he says, way to turn 20 minutes into two hours. OMG, shoot me. We seem to have his attention, <laughs> whether back. we're cute or whatever the hell. All right. Yeah, so yeah he, came he came back. Right. He's just stewed on this for like 
several days. Right. God damn it. What am I going to say today? What am I going to say today? <laughs> but I have to watch it again. I'm helpless. Uh, bottom 2%. All right. Bench Press says, why is Ripple Toe so obsessed with talking about meat? Is there something we should know? And Omega A or something like that says, I could listen to you talk about your meat all day, Rip. You know, this is some high-level stuff, but I think it may indicate that we've got a certain demographic watching the show. They did love the bear joke. Commenting, certainly. Did they like the bear joke? They loved the bear joke. I don't know if they even watched the show. And then they start typing. They look at the title, just like on Facebook. Exactly. You look at the title, start typing. <laughs> I've had people on Facebook comment about an article on my page, comment about an article that I didn't even write. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, God damn. It's just amazing. Standard procedure. Standard procedure. Read the, read the article, read the title, start typing. John John says, Rip loves and fetishizes, fetishizes, fat. He enjoys being obese. He likes eating as much as he can and continuously shitting his pants throughout the day like many obese people do. He doesn't care that he's out of breath. Walking from the handicapped spot of the Walmart to the meat aisle. He can deadlift 500 pounds which at his level of fitness is just a party trick because he can't do anything else. I'd recommend following somebody else's shit here. <laughs> Advocate a balanced diet, fitness training, and run a mile and deadlift twice their weight. Deadlift twice their weight. That's not an accomplishment. Twice body weight. Dead. He'll breathe and deadlift <laughs> twice body weight. <laughs> And she's just a dumb old girl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God almighty. <laughs> so. Why do you have to specify the meat aisle? Because, you know, it's he's commenting on the meat business oh, article. Right, right, right. A meat business podcast we did we'll a while back. We'll just do the cereal episode. Yeah, we're going to we'll do, the, do the raisin bran episode. That's what we'll do. Like, I was oh, God. Hey, you ever notice how you have to eat four bowls of raisin bran? You can't just have a bowl of raisin bran. And it's the milk that makes you full. Yeah, yeah, right. It's, it's Jesus Christ. That's why I don't keep cereal around the house. No, it's oh, dangerous. Clear a box. It's it's dangerous. You yeah. you sit down and eat an entire box of raisin yeah. bran. And how much is the shit now? Fifteen bucks or something? It's hideously expensive. Because it's you know? addictive. But yeah, because they know they have you. They know that. No one eats one bowl of raisin bran. Box lasts two days. Then you go spend another $15. Yeah, it's a plot. There's no doubt. Anyway, that's comments, comments uh, from, from uh, uh, the heaties. <laughs> okay. I have a joke. You want a joke? I love jokes. All right. Three guys are sitting around talking about who the smartest man in the world is. And uh, first guy says, uh, smartest man in the world is uh, the guy that invented calculus. You know, and there's some discussion whether that's Leibniz or Newton. You know, they both apparently... But they would, you know, this guy says that whoever invented calculus, Leibniz or Newton, however you want to consider that, is the smartest man in the world. Second guy says, no, 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 that's nonsense. The smartest man in the world is the guy that invented the heart transplant. And I think that was Michael Dubakey, world's first heart transplant. He's obviously the smartest man in the world. Revolutionized American medicine. Smartest man in the world. Third guy says, no, no, no. The smartest man in the world is the guy that invented the thermos. The thermos? Yeah. The thermos keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. 
And they said, what's the deal? How does it know? That's <laughs> pretty good joke, don't you, don't you think? <laughs> How does it know? Okay. We need to make this a segment. You just the, tell the, a joke. I don't, I don't know how many I've got. Every I got That's about all of them. I think I've exhausted my <laughs> joke supply. The bear joke and the... You'll just tell, retell the bear joke. And the camel joke. And, and camel joke was funny. People don't appreciate the fucking camel joke. That's <laughs> so anyway. So we thought we'd do Q and A today since got a bunch of Q's here. I have the A's. All right. So your Q says, "Dear Uncle Rippy, would you be able to discuss the benefits of barbell training as it pertains to competitive grapplers?" In particular, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners. Where have you been? How many fucking articles have we got on the website about this, Nick? You've written two. <clears throat> Lauritsen's written two or one or something. And then, uh, do we have those lectures right? on the lectures, what are you doing? No, those aren't good. Um, all right, look, how smart do you have to be, all right? Two guys are fighting, right? One of them's stronger than the other one, right? Who wins? Well, usually, you know, the guy's way stronger than the other one. The stronger guy's going to win. It doesn't matter how good he is. It just matters that he can throw your ass around because he's stronger than you are, all right? Now, listen carefully. Bruce Lee weighed 125 pounds. Bruce Lee is mythology. All right? Like that, the, the one-inch punch, right? And three days later, you died. <laughs> that deal? Well, here's the question. Well, that, it's, here's it, the real question. If Bruce Lee was 180. Right. That's How bad a motherfucker That's would question. Bruce Lee have been? So everybody wants to say, can the, the strong guy beat the skilled guy? But if the skilled guy gets stronger, that's that's the question that nobody wants to No, nobody wants to talk about that because it's so that goddamn requires, obvious. Because that, it's so obvious it, and it requires hard work. Right, right. right. So. You'd, Bruce would have had to got under the bar instead of, you know, doing the seven things at once that he is supposed to have been able to do and everything. And uh, Bruce Lee's a popular character in... In Bruce Lee mythology. is responsible for every martial arts thing in America for ever. for forty years. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't think he's responsible for BJJ, but but all of the striking shit yeah. Bruce Lee is responsible for, and he was good at this. But he's a movie star. All right, he's a movie star. Did you like and, that in, uh, in in Once Upon a Time? Yeah, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood <laughs> had a that guy look man. <laughs> That was a hell of a movie, yeah, wasn't it? Real good. That yeah. where did they get the goddamn guy to play Steve McQueen in it? Oh yeah, yeah. That guy looked like Steve McQueen. I mean, like just like Steve McQueen. Yeah, yeah. I've I just got through watching that second time. Shit, that's a good movie. Yeah. That's second. I guess that's the second best one he's ever done. Don't you think? Right after Pulp Fiction, what's better than that? Did you like Kill Bill better? You like Kill Bill better? Yeah, Kill Bill's right there for me. I think this is more entertaining than Kill Bill. That and I like the happy ending, you know, Sharon Tate didn't get killed, that kind of shit. It was an alternative history kind of deal. It's kind of a happy, happy movie. You didn't have a spoiler alert. God damn it. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Just ignore that. Here, edit that out real quick. Edit that out. But I like the flamethrower in the swimming oh, pool. Shit, yeah. <laughs> that was a, oh man. Yeah, that was a good movie. You need to watch that. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has our endorsement. Five stars. That's a five star. Or does it only go to four? No, it goes to five. No, we can go five. I don't know about five. We get four four, four and a half. You'd give it a four and a half. Five, look, five is or what was Pulp five Fiction? Is, five is three movies ever. 
Yeah. Right? Pulp Fiction's a five. Yeah. Yeah, Pulp Fiction. Right? Arguably, Pulp Fiction's a five. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, what else would be a five? Two thousand ones and five. The scale is five. Yeah. should be the, the four five. It should be four or five best movies of yeah. all time. And then everything else. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. As far as westerns are concerned, I think. I just for an entertaining western, it's real hard to beat Silverado. Kasdan's movie. That's a damn good movie. Just fun. So, but to address the grappler question, yeah, Strong's important. All right, just get quit. You know, look, I don't care what. BJ Penn did get big and strong. You'll beat people's ass, right? Go up a weight class, you fucking pussies. God, on my. But BJ there's... Penn is a 36 inch vertical guy. He yeah. jumped out of a he... pool. There's a that video of him insane. jumping out of a three foot pool. Yeah, he's a freak. The side of the pool. So he's already strong. Yeah, he's already strong. He's already strong. No matter what anybody but says. But you know what? You're not. Exactly. Okay? You're not. So maybe it'd be better if you got that way, right? Okay. Now here's another one. Uh, is wearing a weight belt when doing high pulls recommended or personal preference? Are there any antagonistic exercises that would help the high pull? Oh, I don't think antagonistic is a good way to be. You know, I mean, there's enough of that in the world already. So let's not, let's not be antagonistic, all right? But wearing a weight belt when doing high pulls... Uh, if you've got the bar close enough to you, wearing, wearing a weight belt while doing high pulls is an excellent way to pinch the fuck out of your belly skin. Okay? You know, you're, you're eventually going to do that. Now, now look at this. A high pull is, a, is a, a weight that is heavy enough that you can't rack it for a clean. So a snatch high pull is a weight that is so heavy you can't rack it in the snatch. And a clean high pull is a weight that's so heavy you can't rack it in a clean. I do not think that high pulls are useful because why would you practice not racking a clean and not racking a snatch? If you want to get stronger, that's what deadlifts are for. Okay? But I have never once in my life seen a high pull pulled with the same pull that a clean was going to be pulled with. You will change it on the basis of the fact that you know you're not going to rack the thing. You won't pull it the same way. It's, not, it's, it's too heavy to practice cleaning, and it's not heavy enough to make you stronger. So I don't see the point of it. All right. But if you want to wear a belt and pinch the piss out of your belly skin, go ahead. Fine with me. Turn the buckle around. That'll help a little bit. Right. Rip the Dave Ramsey of the weight room. You know, I'm fine. I'm glad somebody else finally figured that out. That Dave and I are basically in the same business. You know, I pointed this out to you five years ago. I, I realized it 10 years ago. Okay. So you were late. Good. I was late. Shit. You were late. <laughs> you were late. No, we're doing the same thing. Me and Dave are. Same thing. Answering the same questions. Same fucking nine questions day. over and over and over. Hours. Except that he gets paid a lot better That's for it. True. He gets paid a whole lot better for it than I do, and he's more patient. He's better looking employees, too. He's, does he? Oh, yeah. How do you know that? Because you have a mirror? <laughs> 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 Oh, shit. What a deal. All right. So, anyway, this guy says that he's 37, he's 5'10, he weighs 330. I'm fat, but back at the gym after a long layoff, I used to do all the men's health bullshit hypertrophy training years ago. Was in decent shape. Says he benched 315, squatted 405. Took a long time off. Question. Following five sets of five variation now to get my strength back, I'm doing five sets of three and planned on getting to a plateau, then going to five sets of four. Or maybe this is uh, three sets of five and then four sets of five, then five sets of five, since he doesn't explain his notation. My thoughts are do the program. Just get the book and do the program. You're where you need to be reading practical programming for strength training. Uh, 
get the gray book and do the program instead of trying to just reinvent this thing for yourself. I understand the need to, especially for a fat guy, to be a rugged individualist because, you know, you've got to build in some positive, you know, positive thinking into your miserable fat existence. But, <laughs> but look, we've already done this for you. <laughs> look, man, just do the program, okay? Just do do the program. BFR is an acronym for blood flow restriction and has been touted by some as a way to strength train, train strength strength with lighter loads and still realize a strength adaptation that could be achieved with much heavier loads and normal blood flow. Sounds like snake oil to me. Your thoughts, Rip? Uh, well, Brent, uh, BFR is an acronym for big fucking rock, not blood flow restriction. Blood flow restriction is silly. All right. A BFR is not silly. BFRs can tear up your lawnmower. All right. So, you got to move those BFR blood flow restriction. Let me ask you a question. How do you blood flow restrict your hips? Where do you tie the string around? If you're going to blood flow, restrict your hips, hips are the biggest muscle mass in the human body. You don't want to leave those out. Do you of your blood flow restriction training? And it says, uh, train strength with lighter loads. What is strength? What is strength, boys and girls? Strength is the ability to produce force against an external resistance. Strength can't be trained with lighter loads. That's called bullshit. Okay? Don't succumb to bullshit. Okay? Now, these are all these are all coming to Bree, aren't they? Are they mailing these to you? Or are you answering the radio at startingstrength.com? Email, is that where you get these briefs? Uh-huh. Radio at startingstrength.com. So if you've got something to contribute, that's where it goes to. Bree will read it, and then she prints them out and brings them to me. All right? See, this is what one ought to look like, right there like that. All right? Now, this one just starts off uh, an article or discussion on training for old men. I have read... The barbell precipitation, but I am way past 40 years old. Programming, recovery, etc. Uh, Tony, you read the wrong book because our book is the barbell prescription and it is about people who are way past 40. I think what you did is read the title of the book didn't actually bother to read the book. I think that's what happened. <clears throat> All right, here's a, this is interesting. How does keto dieting affect linear progression? Well, it adversely affects uh, linear progression, adversely. And it's, you know, this is a, I think uh, Nick and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, for some reason, there's just flurry of keto activity recently. What the? What do you think the deal is on this? You guys, I think everybody's uh, talking uh, about carnivore. Maybe I don't know. Carnivore. Carnivore's big. It's yeah. the thing. Jordan Peterson. We can thank him for that. Carnivore's Jordan Peterson. And Joe Rogan has been pushing the carnivore real hard. I guarantee. You Rogan's been doing it. I guarantee. So, you. so and uh, so there's this big resurgence in keto all of a sudden. Keto got popular well, a couple and here's weeks the thing. ago. People, everybody goes on keto and they lose 20 pounds in a couple of days because they're dumping a bunch of water weight. Right? Yeah, it, so, it, so you do. There's an immediate weight immediate loss with keto. Uh, immediate positive feedback. These guys are it does you. work over time to drop body fat, but I'm telling you. But because you, of the calorie restriction. Because of the calorie restriction, because the first thing that happens on keto after about four days is you just aren't hungry anymore. Yeah. You just forget to eat. Right. And you don't eat. Marvelous way to control your appetite. Because right. you will forget to eat, but you won't eat enough food. And you cannot train without carbs. These guys are right. showing up at the gyms. At uh, there's a few affiliate gyms 
that are having people show up and training. They just all of a sudden decide they want to go on a keto diet and passing out on the platform. At one passing of the, out. Passing out. One of the uh, the, the starting strength And Dallas. go away, right? Yeah, I don't remember if it was right. Dallas or, or Houston. I was down this last weekend. And uh, the guy's doing an intro, 65 pounds on the bar. So it's first day squatting ever. First day squatting. 65 pounds on the bar. This is a Dime on each side of the bar, and the guy passes – Passes out on the platform. Passes out on the platform. Yeah. Low and, blood sugar. And after asking him what the hell's going on, he's like, I don't know. Well, what do you what did you eat today? Oh, I'm doing keto, so I just started keto like two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> he just started keto. Yeah, two Santana days ago. just had the same thing happen to him. I think oh, uh, God. a bunch of people. Well, you know, here's the you know, look, people have different motivations for doing different things and stuff. All right. So let me just tell you guys right now. All right, you can't train heavy, strength train heavy on keto. You can't do it, and it's stupid to try. Now, recently we've had this irritating little fucker posting on the board about how you get fat adapted after two years. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care. Fat adapted after two years. Look, who's got two years? To get fat adapted. I don't really give a shit. This is all it's all bullshit, okay? Look, if you're gonna train productively, you you gotta eat some carbs. That's just all there is to it. You have to eat some carbs if you're gonna train productively. What in the fuck is wrong with a balanced diet? When did this why does everybody have to be weird with their diet all of a sudden? Why does everybody have to be a raw vegan or keto or carnivore? You know, look, I eat a lot of meat. But, you know, I'll have salad, too. Might have a bowl of oatmeal every once in a while. I've been known to steal a French fry off of someone else's plate, <laughs> even though I don't typically order them myself. I don't have baked potatoes. I just don't like to eat a bunch of carbs. But you have to eat some carbs if you're going to train. You're going to train productively, train hard. Novice linear progression was the question here. You have to, you have to eat carbs. I you don't want to eat carbs? Go ahead and try it without carbs and let us know what happens because we already know what's going to happen. All right, now Jonathan so-and-so says, or Andy, uh, I'm confused. Love the books, podcast, and website. Been truly life-changing for me. Thank you. Recent Q&A, Rip mentions an article on the website about tennis elbow or how to deal with elbow tendonitis. Unable to locate such an article. All right, well, I didn't say it was an article. I said it was a board post. And we posted this a long time ago. So in order to get this over with for about a week, because we'll have another question about it, because people are not responsible for, you know, anything that happened before right now, you know, I'll go ahead and tell you this again. We have very, very effectively managed both golfer's elbow, which is medial epicondylitis, and tennis elbow, which is lateral epicondylitis, with a chin-up thing that we that we do. And as far as I know, it works every single time. It's been tried if you'll do it the way I tell you. So that would be my version, not your version. Okay? This is the way it's done. You're going to go out into the gym. And I, I do this outside because of the convenience of doing it outside because I've got a track and I've got a chin-up bar next to the track. So the way I've, I've done this is I will go out and do a bunch of sets of sub-maximal numbers of chin-ups. Now, let's say I can chin myself 15 times. I would go out and do fives on the chin-up. And I would do 20 sets of this. And this is just a, for example, for, for you. Let's say you have developed tendonitis recently because you had your squat grip set up wrong and you've got your elbows all inflamed. This is real unpleasant. It's got to be dealt with. If you go to the doctor, if you're so stupid as to go to the doctor about this, they're going to tell you surgery and all this other shit. So, and they say, ah, oh, it's tendon necrosis can't be fixed. Yes, it can be fixed. 
do the following thing. If you can do 10 chin-ups, all right, you're going to do three in this little deal. So what you're going to do, you're going to go out and do three chin-ups. And then you're going to walk for, you know, a minute. All right, and this is and the, primarily the walking is to space out the sets of the chin-ups. You don't have to walk. You can just sit there on your ass if you don't want to and just time out a minute, minute, 15 seconds, whatever it is, to give you some break between the sets of chin-ups. Then you're going to do another triple, all right, and you're going to accumulate 20 sets of triples. Now, none of the sets is a limit. This is important to understand. None of the sets are, is a limit. The factor is the accumulation of the 60 reps of the chins in sub-maximal numbers of reps. All right, and what happens over the course of this workout is, is you're going to piss off your elbow real bad. All right, and when you get through with it, the pain should not be increasing during the sets. It's going to, you know, the, the first set's not going to feel good. Fifth set's going to feel like shit. And then it'll probably stabilize and just feel like the same level of shit for the remaining 15 reps. But you go ahead and you, you complete these. If the first day you do this, you want to only do 10 sets, that's fine. And then go to 15 on the second workout and then 20 on the third workout. And what happens is, is this tends to increase the inflammation in the inflamed elbow to the point where the inflammatory response is big enough to go ahead and push through the granulation inflammatory cycle that heals up the tissue. And I've never had anybody get through five workouts of this approach where their tendonitis wasn't gone. It works very well, but it hurts. So that's the protocol. Whatever you can do for a maximum number of chin-ups, do about a third of that, okay? Do about a third of that amount and uh, accumulate a whole bunch of sets, and you're going to space out the rest to where it, the rest is sufficient where you keep doing that same number of reps over and over and over. And now it's on video, so you don't have to look it up on the board post, okay? Now, this is, uh, this is interesting. It's a book question. I read uh, your book strong enough, saw, that your, saw your book recommendation on reading Gates of Fire. Uh, it is an incredible book. Yes, very inspiring and a great read. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. By any chance, we read The Empire of the Summer Moon. Picked it up from a recommendation uh, from your best friend, Forever Joe Rogan's podcast. He just called again. Huh? Look. See? See the two calls there? We've got the ringer off. It's very insightful, based on the Comanche tribe. Great badass warriors just like the Spartans. Texas history, all this other shit. Yes, I've read Empire of the Summer Moon. Read that three or four years ago. Uh, I can't remember who suggested that in the gym. Somebody, Montfort. is it Montfort said to read it? Is uh, But that was, it's a great book. It really is. Uh I don't know if we've got enough proximity to the to to the Spartan culture to know exactly uh, how closely Comanche culture paralleled it. Um, but one uh, one description of an event in the book really uh, keeps me awake at night. Uh, you didn't want to be captured by the fucking Comanches. You really didn't want that to happen. Uh, 
some farmers down around Lamb Passes, I think the story is, where they captured that, that they raided a farm. Guy and his wife, couple of kids, they capture the kids, rape the wife to death. Standard practice. Rape her completely to death. Just kill her. And then they took the guy out and uh, laid him down and flayed the skin off of the soles of his feet and then dragged him around in his wheat field on the bloody stumps of his feet. Now, that takes an interesting imagination to come up with something like that. So, uh, over and over again, tales like that in this book. These people were not friendly. They were not nice. And, you know, uh, it might occur to some people that if you're trying to establish a, a, a civil society in an area that factions like this might not be compatible with that. And I'll just leave that as my final comment on the, on the issue. Okay. Next. Oh, look, no, don't, this is not, <laughs> this is not what we do on the show. All right. Okay, here our friend Andrew Lewis sends this in. And I don't know why he did it like this, but he sent me a letter. Short question. What was the scariest, most stressful event of your coaching career? Well, you know, I was trying to think of something. Uh, uh, that didn't, uh, didn't relate to the business aspects of my associations with strength coaches over the year, the scariest, most stressful event of my coaching career probably was, uh, I remember a time I had, had a client, um, had a personal trained client, got a friend of mine as clients sometimes get to be. And, uh, I was out of town on, uh, motorcycle trip or something. I was gone for a while and I had one of my, uh, my guys at the gym who was a personal trainer at the time train this guy. And, uh, without consulting my training log that I kept on this guy, he ran the guy up to a rack pull about 60 pounds over his PR set of five, just loaded it on the rack. No thought for consequences, and sure enough, ruptured my client's L4, L5 disc. And fucked him up. And that really, that really upset me. It really, really did. That was completely unnecessary. I've never heard a client like that, ever. And uh, it, it's, you know... Really, working with people in the gym is not a stressful thing at all. You know, when you own the gym, shit isn't going the way you want it to go. You make changes. Now, if I was working for some dumbass sports coach and had to do the shit that he told me to do, that's. but I'm not in a situation like that. I never have been. I never would be. So, you know, my existence is fairly stress-free in the gym, but when uh, – on those rare occasions, you cede control to another individual. And uh, uh, you, you should expect that things don't always go like, like they're supposed to go. And that was, a, that was a bad day, as far as I was concerned. All right, now here is, uh, let's see, this guy's name is Ryan... Learned a lot from podcasts, YouTube. He's thinking of buying my program material. But I wanted to know your thoughts on its impact on boxing training. I do not want to lose the snap and speed that I've acquired, and I'm not sure if five sets of five will cause that to happen. 
Currently, I run four sets of 15 or four sets of 20 for major muscle groups. Should I get your program? Well, uh, yeah, you should, because helpfully included in my, my program, by, by which I mean the books, um, are some important aspects of instruction on physiology. All right. You have somehow arrived at the conclusion that high rep sets, which produce fatigue, because 15s and 20s produce fatigue, make you snappy and speedy, while fives, which are heavier, but which completely bypass the terminal fatigue of a set of 20, uh, why would you think that fatigued is snappier than strong? I don't understand this. I really don't understand this. So let's look at it like this. A guy benches 500 for a set of five. You bench 135 for a set of 20. Who would you rather be punched in the face by? Him or you? Is that fair? I think it's fair, right? Yeah. Right? So you deadlift 135. He squats 405 and deadlifts. 4.95, and he knows how to put his hips into that right hand, and he benches 3.15, whereas your narrow ass has been doing sets of 20, 15, little bitty weights. Who would you rather be hit by, him or you? This, this isn't complicated, Okay. I get it. You don't want to lift heavy. All right. Perfectly understandable. It's hard. It's boring at some level. It's the same shit all the time. You come in, you squat two or three times a week, heavy weights, get strong. Watch your squat go from 135 to 405. Nothing exciting about that, except that you're stronger and you hit somebody harder. Okay, but if, if you don't want to train heavy, don't train heavy. Because I promise you that the vast majority of people doing boxing are not any brighter about this than you are. You know, but you just really, it, it's, 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 it comes right down to one final thing. Who would you rather be hit by, you or a guy that's four times as strong as you are? You know who lifts a lot of weights all the time? Who's that? Football players. Yeah. You know what happens when they lift weights? They get they, real slow real, and muscle bound. Yeah, they get all slow and shit. <laughs> they're no longer explosive. Wow, their 40s go down from, you know, 4.4 to, you know, they're all running eight-second eight. 40s. Yeah. Eight-and-a-half, nine-second 40s. That's what happens to them happens when they when lift weights. When you're an explosive guy and you start lifting weights. You immediately get slower. Muscle-bound. You get muscle-bound. Muscle-binding, it's a big problem. Here in 1956. <laughs> <laughs> Get idiot ass questions like this. You guys are supposed to have learned a couple of things. Oh, shit. Okay, Rip, what's the best way to avoid getting a hernia while lifting? Well, don't lift. Because if you're going to have a hernia, you're going to have a hernia because your parents gave you the, the, the gift of a weak inguinal canal. The inguinal rings in your lower abdomen you inherited from your parents. And if they granted you the gift of a hernia, you're going to have a hernia if you're lifting. So if you don't want to have a hernia when you're lifting, don't lift weights. But you have to understand that mom and dad gave you the hernia, not the squats. Okay. And then you make the amazing Observation. I've heard someone recommend to always exhale when exerting. <laughs> you haven't read the book, have you? 
where we explained about the Valsalva maneuver and how it is spinal support. You Look, you want to exhale while you're doing a squat or a deadlift, you go right ahead. See what happens. All right? I don't think you'll be able to, but I think you ought to try that one time just to see what happens. But if you're bright, you'll do what it says in the book, and you'll take a great big breath, and you'll hold it because you're going to hurt your back if you don't do it our way. In fact, I doubt you'll be able to do it your way, but I think you ought to try it anyway. That's what, yeah, let's go in and train, and you load a bunch of weight on the bar and take a big breath and pull the bar off the floor and <laughs> exhale on the way. <laughs> oh, God almighty. No, it's not practical. You don't do that. You don't exhale when you're exerting. You won't do that anyway. Your central nervous system is smarter than you are if you think you're supposed to exhale on the way up during exertion. Okay. I have a question concerning neuromuscular recruitment. We've all heard stories of an adrenaline rush giving people superhuman strength. Superhuman strength. strength. That's that reverb again. Yeah. I can do that when I want to. Superhuman Super strength. strength. Day, day, day. Right? For example, regular people having the ability to lift cars off their children during a crash with like one hand. Right? Woman gets out of the car, a 115 pound lady gets out of the car and with one hand lifts a car off of her child and throws it in the bar ditch. Mm hmm. People claim that normal people can use only a small percentage of their muscles, and the adrenaline rush allows them to lift using a higher percentage of their muscles. Is that true? And do you have an explanation for the car lifting scenario? I have a question for you, men. Do you have a video of the car lifting scenario? I'd sure like to see that. The 115-pound lady picking the car up off her little baby child. I'd love to see that video. My explanation is you don't have a video of that because there isn't one. Yes, adrenaline and, you know, arousal helps with neuromuscular recruitment. But learn to distinguish truth from bullshit, okay? Now. Hi, Samuel Alejandro Noriega de Leon says, Hi, would it be wise to incorporate adapted strongman training to intermediate or advanced trainees in their general strength training program? What's your general opinion about strongman? Well, I don't know what you mean by adapted strongman training, but... Uh, Look, strongman is a sport. Strongman is a sport. It's a specific sport. It's like football or racquetball or tennis or baseball or basketball or fencing or any other specific sport that uses force production against external environment as a as a as a way to interact uh, with the competitive rules of the game. Right? Strongmen pick up stones and they pick up stupid-looking things and push them up over their head, and they carry things around, and whatever the meat promoter can dream up is what strong men do. All of those things are specific to the performance that day. Now, if you are not familiar with our two-factor model of sports performance, I suggest you read the article on the website. And uh, what you'll find is that just like every other competitive sport, there are elements of training where you get strong, or if you're a marathon distance competitor, you get your endurance up. You do, you you do, you an accumulated, uh, adapt, you accumulate a physiological adaptation over time to make yourself better at performing the thing that happens in the sport. And then 
the other part of this amount of preparation is the practice that comes along with the development of the skill to execute the performance. So in strongman, strength is built best just like it is in every other sport with a barbell. I'd recommend that if you want to do a 400-pound stone lift and you can only deadlift 405, that you're probably not going to have a lot of success with that. And therefore, the best way would be to get your deadlift up over 700 pounds just as soon as you possibly can because 700 makes 405 lighter. All right? Same with the squat, bench, the press, all this stuff. Uh, and then when it comes time to, to enter the strongman contest, you're going to have to do a little bit of practice with the implements you'll be handling in the contest. This is practice. It's practice because handling those implements involves balances and executions that are fundamentally different from barbell training. But the strength is best built on the barbell because of the reasons that we all understand. It's incrementally loadable. The range of motion can be made as full as possible. You can involve the greatest amount of muscle mass in barbell training. Whereas the limitations that are imposed on range of motion and incremental loading with strongman implements are just not, they're not conducive to training. All good strongmen deadlift, squat, press, and bench press. All right. They don't have to specialize in that like power lifters do, but uh, there, there aren't any good professional strongmen that are, that are also not 700 deadlifters unless they're competing in the lightweight division. And that's not a common division that you encounter in strongman. Strength is obviously a part of strongman. And strength is best built on barbells. So that's, oh, I, you know, just you need to look up the two-factor model of sports performance. And that answers lots and lots and lots of questions. All right, here's an interesting thing about astronaut strength training. Uh that we get from our friend Darren. Uh, he says astronauts aboard the uh, in International Space Station are required to exercise two hours a day to minimize the loss of muscle and bone due to microgravity. They use a combination of a customized treadmill, bicycle, and a weightlifting machine called the Advanced Resistive Exercise Device. The ARED. ARED. A RED. Right, And because it was built by the government, it has to have an acronym. Right? So, uh, how running on a treadmill, riding a bicycle in microgravity, maximizes the retention of bone mineral, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Uh, skeletal loading maximizes the retention of bone mineral, right? In the absence of skeletal loading. Um, in fact, these guys, the, the minute they enter zero G, they start pissing out calcium. We know that real well. And we, we understand that uh, uh, one of the biggest problems with extended time spent in microgravity is the fact that when you get back, you've lost a bunch of bone mineral. You're osteopenic. You've also lost a bunch of muscle mass that moves you around in, in, in a gravitational framework. If you're not in a gravitational framework, or at least a simulated gravitational framework, there's going to be problems. There's going to be problems with this. Uh, he says, these one and a half to two hours per day have not been sufficient to stem the atrophy of muscle and loss of bone in astronauts over a long duration in space. Of course they haven't been. We're not, we didn't evolve in space. And if we're going to be there for any length of time, like to Mars and back, this is going to have to be fixed. Somebody's going to have to come up with a way to get this done. Now, the most obvious way to get this done is to create a microgravity, a, a macrogravity environment uh, artificially. And the aforementioned 2001, A Space Odyssey, the famous Kubrick movie, had this down. 
I mean, this has already been thought about, all right? And uh, and I would say that if we are not in a position to produce a, a spacecraft with a rotating component so that um, centrifugal force can simulate gravity uh, for the parts of the ship that the people are going to be on board, then I don't think we're ready to go to Mars. You know, I know it's expensive, but shit's expensive sometimes. But if you want to get them to Mars and back and have them be able to actually stand on the ground here on Earth again, there's going to have to be something done that hadn't been done so far. And uh, this is a terrible problem. Now, I came up with a design for a, for a, uh, a rack that I think would probably work fairly well using uh, a, an isometric load on the skeleton. And uh, it's just kind of a simple little device that doesn't require an acronym. And more importantly, is, is not worth $82 billion. And, uh, you know, it can be made out of some cable and some pieces of titanium, and it could be, could be stood around in for lengths of time during the day. It would probably work, but nobody wants to talk to me about it. Uh, so, uh, I, I really think it would work. Uh, but what do I know? You know, I do know that if you are going to send somebody into microgravity, for five years that they can't come home. So you guys uh, that are thinking in terms of a Mars mission, uh, you're not going to see these people back home again. They're going to have lost the ability to negotiate this gravity well. And uh, uh, that's, that's, you know, we, if we're talking about Mars, we're going to have to start being realistic about it. You know, the Martian, they got the space travel right with the with the centrifugal force gravity, but they never talk about how he survived on Mars for as long as he did in that kind of gravity. Right, Martian gravity is what a quarter yeah. g. Yeah. It's about a quarter g. That in itself is not enough to. Yeah, it would, he would it, yeah that would have to. He would have to have supplemented that. It could easily be done in that gravity. Yeah. You could lift weights in a in gravity situation like that, but nobody wants to talk about squats and deadlifts because that's for fucking meatheads like Ripito. You know. Uh, the Expanse they touch on a lot of how gravity and living on a Do they? affects people. Multiple generations um, on the people on Venus. I'll tell you who worked this out hmm. a long time ago. Who told you what you needed to know? Robert Heinlein. Mm-hmm. The moon is a harsh mistress. If you haven't read that book. Read it. Uh, it's a terribly important book because lots and lots of brand new things were introduced in, into that into that novel as concepts, and among them the idea that if you are born on the moon in one sixth g, that you can never stand up on the earth. Yep. Just get the idea out of your head. You're adapted to one sixth g. And you can't, suddenly everything's six times heavier, including you. Doesn't work. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, on the expanse, they touch on that. People that were yeah. born on Venus are like seven feet tall. They bring one of them to Earth and they torture him with gravity. They right. hang him from hooks under his armpits and just torture him that way. Because he wow. Can't stand. Well, Venus is like 0.85 yeah. G, right? But uh, how do you get, how do you terraform Venus? That's, you know, the surface temperature is like 900 degrees Fahrenheit. I think it's Venus. It might have been another Venus. Probably not Venus. Yeah. Probably not uh, Venus. You're probably remembering Moon that. Moon is right. a harsh mistress movie coming. Is it? Yeah. No, I haven't heard that. I hope they don't fuck it up like they did Starship Troopers. That would really disappoint me. Starship Troopers was another one of those damn good books that Robert Heinlein wrote. Is a series of young person's fiction he wrote back in the early 60s starship troopers very very important book too and then they turned it into this wasn't even a cartoon it didn't even rise to the level of a cartoon you didn't like the movie no it's horrible have you read the book i haven't read the 
read the book. Well, then that's why you don't understand. So that's you need to read the book. All right. It's going to be stupid. Brian Singer. What do we owe the the pleasure of familiarity with that name to? X Men. Yeah, they were they were. Flashy but stupid. What's that? He raised children. He's a he's a baby raper. Is he really? It's documented. Well, that's fascinating. It's almost as if he voted against the school bond issue, huh? Could he be that horrible? Okay. Good afternoon, Mark. How did he know? How did how did he know that? This must be the guy that invented the thermos. Uh, I returned to lifting after numerous back surgeries. The doctor suggested that deadlifting and squatting might be a problem. But he also told me there are no restrictions. Have you heard of anyone returning to powerlifting after lumbar fusion? Powerlifting or deadlifting and squatting? They're not the same thing, you know. We have people with back surgery that train with strength all the time. Every, every gym that's a starting strength affiliate that runs starting strength training deals with people who've had back surgery. They squat, they deadlift. They do so properly. Terribly important point here. They do so properly. All right. So, yes, you can properly deadlift after back surgery. You need to, desperately need to, if you're ever going to have a strong back again. One of the most important things after back surgery is making your back strong, right? So it's protected by the muscle mass, right? What's the best way to get your back strong? Squats and deadlifts. So, yeah, you got to do it right, though. So get some help so that it's right. Uh, this is a little bit long. Maybe I can, uh, <clears throat> condense this for you. Uh, so much dislike compliments, right? Not wanting to stop squatting. I decided to give the front squat a try after he hurt his shoulder. Couldn't bench or back squat. Very difficult at first. Got the hang of it after watching my front squat video. Front squat twice a week, few few weeks. All my knee pain went away. I've had knee pain since my mid-30s, now 52. So it's probably the eccentric component of the front squats that helped with that tendonitis. Uh, and then I sent it a sharp top. Let's see. The extensions, note me surprised to learn. The extensions did not help. No, they never do. Truly shocked to be pain-free. It's obvious to me the front squats cured me, but I've been making a lot of changes in my life because of starting strength. My questions. I've heard that in early versions of starting strength, you had novices and intermediates front squatting. If this is true, why did you remove the front squat from the program? Because they omit the hamstrings. And we don't want to leave out a major muscle group from our training program. Uh, I, I, the idea, the basic criteria that we have, we apply to these exercises is the way we do the exercise must use the greatest amount of muscle mass possible over the longest effective range of motion possible so that you can lift the heaviest weight on that exercise that you can and so you will get strong. I predict that what happened on your front squats is that the eccentric work which has been proven time and again to help with with tendonitis of all sorts, uh, helped with your knees, and I don't know uh, what you were doing prior to that. I don't know if your other squats were were uh, done correctly or what. It might have been that I, I, I wouldn't care to speculate. All right, two, have you heard of front squats relieving knee pain before? Uh Yes, but I've I've heard it causing more knee pain than it alleviated. The only time I've actually hurt my my knee in the gym, hurt my healthy knee in the gym. Now, I've hurt my knees a couple of times since my motorcycle wreck, but I've the only time I've hurt my healthy knees in the gym was doing front squats, and uh, that's not why we don't do them. Though the reason we don't do them is because they omit so much muscle mass. 
Let's see. Because starting strength barbell prescription, I've been making a lot of changes in my life. He's lost 85 pounds. Stronger, eating better. Um, so perhaps it wasn't the front squats, or maybe this was from all three. Well, it could very well have been. If you're carrying around 85 pounds of fat and you got that off of your knees, you know, I could see why that might have helped. You know, that might have been beneficial. I'm stunned how amazing it is to be pain-free. Man, isn't that the case? Chronic pain is a, if you don't have this, you young people that aren't hurting all the time, you don't really understand how uh, high levels of pain that, you know, accompany a situation either before or after surgery, you don't realize how much that takes out of you. You know, your grandparents with achy hips, uh, in a lot of pain all the time. These poor people can't sleep. They hurt all the goddamn time. And I'm telling you, hurting all the goddamn time is, it's bad. It eats you alive. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of stress. Whether it's joint soreness or muscle soreness, unnecessary muscle soreness, or being stupid with your training, being sore all the time, being in pain all the time, is not a way to improve character, okay? It's a way to age faster than you need to. It's hard on you. All of that inflammation, all of the inflammatory products that go along with pain and produce pain are not good for you, all right? Uh, you're, uh, uh, th- this is why we are so adamant about joint replacements for people who need them, and you you need to not wait to have that done because you don't want to be in pain all the goddamn time. All right, it's it's not good for you to do that. Oh look, There's nothing else on the table here to talk about today. Ah, uh, this is about the right amount of time anyway. You know, people have a threshold. You know, Rogan's eight and a half hour podcast or. I disagree with that. I think we ought to get in your face for about an hour and then go away. And uh, that's what we're going to do. All right? Anybody want to talk about anything else? No. Nobody wants to talk about anything else? No. Well, all right, then we won't. We'll just say goodbye for now. See you next time on Sparty Strength Radio.